to see you. I do hope you've had a great afternoon. And in case you can't tell, <clears throat> my voice is doing everything it can to go away. And so I'm doing my best. Let's see if that doesn't happen, but we'll just, we'll just see what happens here tonight. Uh, you may get a break. Over the last several Sunday nights, we've been looking in the Gospel of John, considering these longings, desperate, deep longings that we have, things that we can identify, but maybe can't ultimately know and accomplish. We desperately know we want justice. We want things to be fair and right. We want to be loved. We know we're more than just physical bodies. We know we're spiritual beings. We appreciate beauty, and it points us to something greater. We long to be free. We know there's such a thing as the truth that doesn't change, that's different from a lie. We know all of these things are real. We also know these things are elusive in a lot of ways, and we're waiting for the one who can finally help us realize all of these things. The seventh and final signpost that I want us to think about tonight as we look at the Gospel of John is the concept of, of power. Power is a buzzword in our society. Many people are accused of, of doing whatever they can to exert and to keep power over others. Even religion. Religion's not immune to this accusation. Even religion is accused of being seen as some evil attempt to hold power over people. It's not, they say, well, it's not necessarily something that is true. It's not actually the, the worship of the true and living creator of the world. It's just a power play by people to keep some people in line and to keep others. Who has the power? Who can wield power over others? Who can keep some down and stay themselves in a high place? We've been told and we have witnessed that power corrupts. We know it's true. Even on smaller levels, we've seen people that we know maybe get some kind of a position, whether it's you know, become CEO or shift manager or something, not even some type of governmental job, and they go from being that sweet, kind, humble friend to this power-wielding maniac that you don't want to be around anymore. Power corrupts. What we're longing for, what we're looking for, is we seek someone who will wield power that finally and really and truly leads us to peace. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 2, we're told in Scripture to pray. Listen to this. We are to pray for kings and for all who are in high places so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life so that we can live a godly and dignified life. And it says, so we can live this kind of way, this kind of life in every way. That's what we're to long for. That's what we'll be praying for, that those who are in positions of power, even Brother Leland did it tonight. We pray that those who are in positions of power will make such decisions that we can be at peace. That's what we want. That's what the men and the women of the Ukraine want. They are praying for peace but you know what they're not the only ones you know who else is praying that prayer the soldiers in the russian army they're praying the same thing i remember this won't be an exact quote because i can't remember it but i know it was general william tecumseh sherman of the union forces in the civil war 
the summary of what he said was this, the only people who glorify war are those who've never been in it. If you've been in it, you don't want to be in it anymore. If you face those that are shooting at you, you don't want to be in that anymore. The only people that glorify war are those who've never, ever been in it. And so what I'm saying is, even those Russian soldiers who've been taken away from their families and are having to march into places, that's not, they want peace. That's what we all long for. They, they're going about it the wrong way to try and get it. But that's what we all want. In the deepest parts of our souls, what we want is peace. But there is someone who can give it. The people that are in power now are not the ones, certainly the ones in control in Russia, are not the ones who are going to bestow peace upon the world. But we are desperately seeking someone who will wield power that leads to peace. We seek someone who has the power to protect us. We seek someone who has the power not only to protect us, but then can also be trusted with that power. Who can offer that? Who can be trusted to accomplish that? Before we look at the Gospel of John, we're going to look at a handful of verses in John. I first want you to go with me to Psalm 72. The 72nd Psalm. Because this is what, I just want you to see, this is human nature. This is what men and women have always wanted and will always want. We want somebody to lead us. We want somebody to go out in front of us. We want somebody in a place of power that can give us peace and that can protect us. We want somebody powerful enough that can be trusted to have that power. Look at what Israel said they wanted in their king. Psalm 72, look at verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. See, that's what they want. God, bless our king to be in a position, to be the kind of man who will give us peace and will allow us to live the kind of life that, that we want where we can flourish and be happy and not be afraid of what comes next. Give us that kind of king, God. Look at verse 8. May he, may this king that you bless us with, God, may he have dominion from sea to sea, from river to the very ends of the earth. So we want a king that we can trust. We want a king that has the kind of power that can protect us. And we want him to rule everything. That way everybody has that kind of peace. Then verse 12. This is what we want our king to be like. Verse 12. He delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and on the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. That's the kind of king they want. One that sees his subjects as precious. One who sees his subjects as those who have blood that can be spilled but doesn't want it to be spilled. Wants to protect them. That's what they want. Then verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory Amen and amen. You see, that's what Israel hoped their king would do for them. But what we know as we read First and Second Kings, as we read First and Second Chronicles, as we read the, the pages of the Old Testament, we know that even the very greatest of the kings in Judah were flawed, deeply flawed. Even the most powerful of kings still on occasion used their power to bring evil on their own families, 
They used their power to bring evil on the people of Israel. All the kings would use the people at one time or another for their own designs. This is what God said would happen. You read 1 Samuel chapter 8. And in that transition time, you know, the people come to Samuel, give us a king. And Samuel's like, that's a terrible idea. Give us a king anyway. Want to be like all the other nations. God said to Samuel, look, here's what you need to tell the people. I'll give you a king. I'll give you one. But you know what'll happen? That king will come and he'll take your sons. Some of your sons he'll take and put in his army. Some of your sons he'll take and have them come and plow up his fields. Some of your sons he'll take and, and use them for other things. Then when his fields are, are overflowing, then he'll come and take your fields. This is what your kings will do. Even the best of your kings is what they'll do. And so when they begged for and pleaded with, they finally found out even the very best of their kings would use their power against them. So there was still someone else. <laughs> they still hadn't found that king they were longing for. They still hadn't found that king they were pleading for in Psalm 72. And so this is one of the great things about the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospel of John now if you're not there already. You see, we've, we've looked in just, in just five minutes, we've looked and seen that it's always been human nature that we have someone wield the kind of power that we can trust, wield the kind of power that we trust to follow. And Israel's looked and looked and looked and couldn't find that. Not Saul, not David, not, not Solomon, not Rehoboam, not, not Hezekiah. They all at some point use their power and let their people down. And so one of the great messages of the Gospel of John is that it is Jesus who is the King of Kings. It's Jesus who rules in a way that's different from all the other kings. It's Jesus that rules with a power that's even different from all the other kings. It's Jesus who rules with a power that once and for all will offer peace and will offer protection to all the people who so desperately long for it. It's only Jesus. We're going to look at four passages tonight real quick. And the first one's in John 12. So turn with me to John 12, please. Because what I want you to see is that in every place, in each one of these passages, in some way, the illusion is going to be made. The reference, either directly or thinly veiled, the reference is going to be made to the fact that Jesus is the king. But it's a different kind of king with a different kind of power. He wields his power differently than any other king ever has or ever will. So keep an eye out for that as we read these things. John 12, let's begin reading together at verse 20. John 12, 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who was Bethsaida in Galilee. And they asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. I love that phrase. Don't you wish more and more and more people would ask it? We wish to see Jesus. Won't you show him to us? Now, sadly, it appears here that this, this time when they ask this question, it appears to be they want to see Jesus in order to be entertained. They want to see Jesus because they've heard about power and they're interested in seeing some of these things. They're interested in, in seeing what it is that he can do doesn't seem to be the case they're interested in actually giving him their hearts and lives because of the response that Jesus gives. So look, they said, sirs, we wish to see Jesus, verse 22. So Philip went and he told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and they told Jesus. And in verse 23, we, I guess we would expect to find Jesus saying, well, bring them here. This is what it says in verse 23. 
Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, let me tell you what that means. For the Son of Man to be glorified, it means he is about to receive his kingdom. He's about to, in a very grand way, be crowned king. The, the example you could use is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Where in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, you know, Daniel sees this incredible, otherworldly vision. He sees the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. And what happens here is that the Father, this is the, the, the summary, the Father gives the Son a kingdom. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. The Father gives the Son a kingdom that won't ever be overthrown. He gives him a kingdom that's full of all nations, races, na uh, tribes, and tongues. All people coming before this son, before this king, to be a part of his kingdom. This is when the son is glorified and given a kingdom. And so he says here, the time has come for the son of man to be glorified. The time has finally come for me to show on a grand scale that I am the king. 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, a, but let me pause real quick and say this. So how was that to be? Was he to be, you know, walk into Jerusalem, go up the Temple Mount, kick out someone there and sit on a throne? Was he to march to Rome and kick out the emperor there and sit on the throne there? When he's going to be glorified, what is he going to do? What's the grand gesture that this king will do to show the world he's the king? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. You just hold a, a seed in your hand, put a seed here on, on this uh, bench, this table, this hand rest, this handrail, whatever this piece of wood is, you put a seed here, what's it going to do? Sit there, never change, never grow, never produce. He says, but if that wheat falls into the earth and dies, it's going to bear much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, whoever hates his life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father, Father will honor him. I'm going to be glorified by dying. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Should I, should I plead with the Father to keep this death from coming? Should I plead with the Father to keep me from having to go through this pain? but it's for this purpose I've come to this very hour. Father, glorify your name. And so a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it, and they said it, it thundered. Others said, no, no, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The one who would set himself up as king, Satan who set himself up as king, is being cast out. And then here's how he will ultimately, he's already said the seed has to die. He's already said he has to be planted in the earth. He's already said he has to die. And he qualifies that. He explains it further about how he's going to be crowned king. Here it is. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He came to serve he came to die. It was by his example of sacrificial love that he was going to draw people in. This is the way this king 
would be crowned. This is the way this king would be glorified. This is the way this king would begin his rule. That's completely different from the way any other king has ever started their reign. This king came to wield the kind of power that had not been seen before in a kind of way that had not been seen before. Go over just a little bit to chapter 13. You know, John 13 is all about, it centers around the event where Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, and here it's recorded that he washes their feet. This is what the Bible says. 13.1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. But afterward, you will. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Notice the difference between what one ruler was doing versus what the other ruler was doing, right? Remember, Jesus said in chapter 12, he's casting out the ruler of this world. He's casting out Satan, Satan who would set himself up to be king. How was Satan seeking to rule as king? It says there in verse 2, 13, 2, he entered the heart of, of Judas, as it were, to get Judas to betray Jesus. Satan was trying to be king by using deception and betrayal as his weapons. But what weapons did Jesus use? Here he used servanthood. Again, he used sacrificial love. Jesus would attain and maintain and will power that was different than any other king, but he would do it in a way that no other king had done. Do it from an approach and a position no other king had done. Third, go to chapter 18. We've made reference to this conversation with Pilate a couple of times, but one more time here. Go to John 18, verse 33. Because here, this is what the very conversation is about. I know once before we looked at this conversation and we, and we keyed in on what they were saying about the truth. But the overall, the main idea in this conversation is about who wields power. Do you remember Pilate had said certain things like, don't you recognize that I've got all the power here? Don't you recognize that I could set you free if I wanted to? Don't you recognize that just right here with the, the wave of a hand, the, the word that I might speak from my mouth, I could set you free or kill you. Don't you recognize the kind of power I have? John 18, 33. Pilate enters the headquarters again and calls Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered. He said, let's talk about a kingdom, what a kingdom is and who rules it. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. 
And so Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. In essence, Jesus says this, I am a king, but I rule with a power that you don't understand. I rule with a power that goes so far beyond any kind of power you've seen or even dreamed of, and I do it differently. I not only have a power you don't have, I wield it with kindness and love, with gentleness. I do it in a way that is not like other kings. I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus came to bring in a new kingdom with a whole new way of looking at, at kings and empires and power. We live for him. We live for this king and we fight for this king. But we do it with different types of weapons. Right? Ephesians 6, 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions the fact that our weapons are, are very, very different from the weapons that the world uses. So we fight for this king, but we don't use guns and tanks and shields and spears. We use the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. We use these kinds of things. And we also have a different goal. Our goal is not to conquer new territories. Our goal is not to expand the literal borders of our kingdom. Our goals are souls. Our goals are hearts. Our goals are minds. Our goals are to cast down and tear down all those false arguments that are set up against God. And so we live for this king and we fight for this king, but with different types of weapons and with different goals. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. The fourth and final one I want you to think about is in chapter 20. In chapter 20, we're going to read from the first part of the chapter and the last part of the chapter, but this is what we're going to consider. We're going to think specifically about the type of power that this king has. Right? Remember, Pilate had, had made, that, that made it crystal clear I've got power of life and death in my hands. You'd better talk to me, Jesus. Why would you stay silent in front of me, Jesus? I have power, Jesus. And Jesus would say, no, you don't. You wouldn't even be in the position you're in unless God put you there. God's the one who sets up and tears down. God's the one with power. It's not you. And in fact, you're not the one that has power of life and death. That's me. Listen to what he says here. John 20, let's begin reading at verse 3. Because this is when Pilate thought that he had really put things to rest. He'd, he'd washed those hands and, and turned this rebel rouser. He'd turned this one who'd caused so much chaos. He'd turned him over to the Jews to finally silence things. And they'd put him on a cross and he had died. And they buried him and he thought it was over with. I took care of that. That'll be silence now. What's the next issue? He thought he had the power to put that to rest. But John 20, verse 3. Peter went out of the, along with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, the place where Jesus had been laid. Where the dead body of Christ had been laid. Verse 4 says both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter, and, and he reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. The claws that Jesus had been wrapped up in, what the dead body had been covered in. He saw those claws just lying there. But he didn't go in. Simon Peter came following him. He went into the tomb. And he saw those linen cloths lying there. 
And there was the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't lying with the linen cloth that was folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went and he saw and he believed. For as yet they didn't understand the scripture that said that he must rise, the Christ must rise from the dead. But on seeing this empty tomb, they believed. And those disciples went back to their homes. Drop down to verse 26. This is after Jesus had appeared once to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't with them. He's going to appear again, and this time Thomas is there. So 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, and, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's what I want you to take away from this passage that you've heard thousands of times. Jesus is the one, according to Revelation 1.18, he said of himself, Jesus said these words, I am the one who has the keys to, to Hades. I have the key to the power of life and death. It's me. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And so I now have the keys to life and death. Jesus said, I have the power to grant life and I have the power to overcome death. When we meet a king who loves us enough to wash our feet, more than that, when we meet a king who loves us enough to die for us, we should be humbled and thankful for that king. When we meet a king who is powerful enough to give life, when we meet a king who's powerful enough to overcome death, we should be amazed by that. But when we meet a king that's all of these things, that he's kind and he's loving and he's merciful and he's supremely powerful, we should give thanks and follow him. In Psalm 20, at verse 7, the Bible says, some trust in chariots, some in horses. The point is this, let me say this before we go further. Everyone is seeking a power to protect them. Everyone is seeking a power to believe in. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Some trust in the world. Some trust in military might. Some trust in government. Some trust in the things they see here they can touch and feel. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God because those other things, they collapse and they fall. But we rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. You see, we're all looking for power to trust. But it's only the Lord who's worthy. All of these signposts lead to and point to our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. May we seek him with all of our hearts. He's the only one who can give us true justice. He's the only one who loves us perfectly. He is the one who guarantees us our spiritual life will continue on after this physical life stops. He's the reason we enjoy things that are beautiful because he is the ultimate in beauty. He's the one who grants freedom. He is the truth. And he's the one who has the power to give us what we need. And so let me encourage you, if there is anything that you seek, any longing that you need fulfilled, it is only in Jesus the Christ 
that those things will be satisfied. All signposts point to him. If we can help you, encourage you, if you need to obey the gospel and be washed in a watery grave to have your sins cleansed, won't you come while we stand and sing? Thank you.